0: Well, hi, everybody. If I have not met you, by the way, my name is David, and I serve on the pastoral staff here. You have no idea how glad I am to see all of you and your smiling faces and um, your brightly colored clothes, especially your daughters who are dressed in these really cool dresses, which are really awesome. So I am so glad that you're all here. And um, I was thinking um, about this last month because we have been, um, reading one of the biographies of Jesus written by a man named Luke. There's four biographies. Um, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've been kind of tracking along with this, um, this author named Luke. And very specifically, we're looking at a, a, sec, a segment of his, of his biography um, that I find really fascinating. Let me just kind of show you how this is, is set up. Um, Luke, the first two chapters, deals with his birth. We read this at Christmas time, right? And then the next six chapters or so, uh, three through nine, talks about Jesus' early ministry in Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. And then uh, in chapter nine through 19, there's this road that he travels between Galilee and and Jerusalem, and then the final five chapters deals with all the events that happens in that city. And we've been looking at this road to Jerusalem. It's ten full chapters because in chapter nine, um, Luke writes that Jesus set out resolutely towards Jerusalem. And then in chapter nineteen, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, and we call that the triumphal entry. We celebrated that in Palm Sunday last week. And this major block within the the biography of of Luke, or the biography of Jesus that Luke wrote, contains a tremendous amount of teaching. And we've been looking at each one of these these things, and, and we've been on this road, and here we are today, and we're at the end of that road, more or less. But this idea of the road to the cross might be just a little bit of an April Fool's. Maybe just a little bit. Because (laughs) the cross really wasn't the end of the journey. Now, his disciples thought it was. I mean, here's this teacher you've been following around for three years. You had some pretty high hopes for him, and so did a whole lot of other people. and, And he got crucified on a Roman cross. And certainly the opponents of Jesus thought that this was the end of the road and they wouldn't have to deal with him anymore. But, however, it's not the end point for you and me, is it? If you know the story, you know it's not the end point. So let me be perfectly clear that the cross... The cross is important, but Easter Sunday ain't about the cross. The cross was about Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, but Easter Sunday ain't about the cross. And so what I want to do is I want to return back to Luke, and I want to talk about all the events that happened after the cross, because Easter Sunday ain't about the cross. And so we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. Or if you have a Bible app, you might want to plug it in. Luke chapter 24, the first few verses, we're going to read through it. I'm going to make some comments, and then we're going to talk about something very, very special. Here it is. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find The body of the Lord Jesus. Funny how I've said that a hundred times, and yet it still catches right here. So you need to understand that this group of women that Luke is describing actually saw Jesus die on the cross. They saw um, a group of men remove his body, and they watched them take him to this tomb and they saw the stone put in front of the entrance. They've seen all of these things. They waited the appropriate amount of time and very early in the morning when it was acceptable for them to do so they took all of the spices and, and herbs and things that they needed to essentially prepare that body for internment and they show up to the tomb and what do they find? It's It's empty. Can you imagine what that seems like? See, we read this story, we've read it so many times, we hear it every single year, but the fact of the matter is, you have a group of women, this was real for them. This was the first time they experienced it. Can you imagine what was going through their head? What happened? There was a certain amount of confusion, probably a little bit of panic too, right? Because here we have this job, we are prepared to do this, and it is not there. So let's keep reading. While they were wondering about this, huh? suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And they go on. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Now this is interesting because remember when we looked at the structure of Luke, Galilee was in chapters 3 through 9. This is chapter 24. This all happened 15 chapters ago. You with me? 15 chapters ago of course they didn't remember a lot has happened since then they had slept a few times right and they saw a very traumatic event play out in front of them of course why wouldn't you forget those kinds of words because back then in Galilee when this thing was just getting started that was crazy talk what what's Jesus saying it didn't even make sense to them but now they remembered now they remembered It's a a fascinating little tidbit that I think that Luke puts in there for us because how often do you and I forget things that God has done? And then something will happen, and then we remember. Does that happen to you? Come on, be honest. You're in church. Yeah. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. Remember, Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them betrayed him. He went out and committed suicide. And so now they were called the eleven And to all the others, because there was a, a larger group of people that followed Jesus around. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Of course it did. What are you talking about? We saw it put into the tomb. We saw the dead body. What happened? Now, by the way, just for the record, in that day and age, a woman's testimony was considered unreliable. (coughs) Ladies, I'm sorry. That's just the way it was. (laughs) That particular culture saw it that way. And isn't it amazingly ironic how that's how Jesus told to communicate to the disciples? You see the irony in this? The one who is most unreliable, that's the one that Jesus actually used. Because Jesus is always raising the value of people. Except there's one. One who thought there might be something to this story. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He didn't saunter. He didn't stroll. He didn't... uh, walk in a meditative sort of fashion he ran bending over he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and when he went away wonder wondering to himself what had happened he didn't just look for the testimony he trusted the 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 testimony but he verified have you ever heard that term trust but verify that's exactly what Peter did let me go check this out for myself And he's left with this big question mark in his mind. But I need to tell you that this passage contains probably my most favorite question in all of Scripture. It's simply this. Why do you search for the living among the dead? Can you feel the weight of that question? I mean, think about it. You've got this group of women who, they're just doing their duty out of reverence for this person that has given them love and value like they've never had before. He's not there, and suddenly a shiny person shows up and asks this question, what are you doing here? Why, Why are you looking for the living one among the dead ones? And I have to tell you, I think that this particular question echoes down throughout the centuries, and it rings in our ears, and I think that this question is just as relevant to you and me as it was to those women 2,000 years ago. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this question, why do we search for the living among the dead? You see, it's interesting to me that this road... To the cross. This thing that we've been talking about for the last month has given us a picture of how Jesus interacted with human beings. And he was teaching along the way. And, and if, if you were here and you remember some of those, those teachings, he, here it is, very simply. He talked about Samaritans and 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 the fact that they weren't the bad guys in this. You know what he was talking about? Racial hatred. Yeah, that's not relevant today at all, is it? And then he interacted with women. Yeah, that's not relevant today at all either. And yes, he talked about children. And in our state right now, children are a big deal, aren't they? Yeah, that's not relevant. He also talked about the misuse of religion. Some of you know firsthand what that's about. He talked about the rich. He talked about the poor. Sometimes in the same sentence. In all of these things, he was trying to teach us something. And if you have not figured it out, I want to connect all the dots for you, and I want to put it in as clear a picture as I possibly can. People. Human beings matter. Everyone you see, you matter. The people next to you matter. And I want you to understand this before you walk out of here. People matter doesn't just mean the people who live in your house. It doesn't just mean the people you go to work with. It doesn't mean just the people in your neighborhood. It includes everybody. It includes the person who's taking your order for food. It includes the person who's checking your groceries. It's the person who's changing your oil. It's the person who's cutting your grass. Everyone matters. They're made in the image of God and they bear the imprint of the divine, they matter. How much do they matter? Great question. How much do they matter? Well, why are we here today? They matter so much that God made a permanent way for us to be able to connect with Him all the time. There's no need for animal sacrifice. There's no more need for any type of Priest to come before the people and stand in the gap between humanity and God. There's no no place necessary like the Holy of Holies where God dwelled and you couldn't go in. No, that veil was completely torn. That happened on Good Friday. All of those things that separated us from God was gone, including sin. By the way, I just want you to understand that my understanding of sin is very simple. We tend to think about how sin violates the holiness of God. And yes, that's true as far as it goes. But what you really need to understand is that sin creates a barrier between us and God. And God won't have it. Kicking down walls. That's what Jesus is doing here. We just sang about it. People matter so much that God kicked down that wall of sin and death so that we could connect with Him any time we wanted to. Jesus satisfied every one of the requirements, and now we have direct access to the Father through Jesus. How cool is that? <laughs> but here's a problem. And we do have a problem. The problem is that as human beings, we tend to look for our value in all sorts of other places. You know, let me, let me give you an example for this. We tend to find our value in about four or five things. One, we find our value in um, what we do. We tend to find our value in who we know, what we own, and what we know, right? I mean, think about it. When you first meet somebody, what do you do? And we find our value in whatever the title is on our business card or our list of responsibilities. And and, and sometimes we find value in who we know and, and what names can I drop and who are you going to be impressed by? Or what we own... The types of shoes that are on my feet, the type of car that I drive, the zip code and address that I live at. Come on, tell me this isn't true. We also find value in what we know. How many letters do I have before and after my name? And how can I help you today with my knowledge that I have acquired through these various means? We find our value in those things. Do we not? Tell me I'm wrong. Double dog dare you. And when that doesn't work, because usually that doesn't work at some point, we tend to move in a slightly different direction. And when those things don't work out for us, when we don't receive that value, when we don't feel the worth by answering those questions and impressing other people, then we feel like we have to medicate that pain because it's painful when you don't have value. And we medicate it through all sorts of things. We do it through chemicals, I mean, think about it, you can smoke it, you can snort it, you can shoot it, shoot it up, you can drink it, and we do all these things just to medicate. And maybe that's not your thing, that's okay, because you know what, there are other ways that you can medicate that pain. You can look at certain types of movies on a, on a, on a computer screen, or look at certain types of pictures on a computer screen or in a magazine, you can do that too. You can eat too much, you can eat too little, right? You can do those things to medicate yourself. You can shop it away because, hey, if I buy one more thing, I'm going to feel better or you can throw yourself into work hoping that by accomplishing something else you're going to find value in yourself and we have all of these addictions they go on and on by the way did you know that taking selfies is now considered an addiction this is a thing And <sighs> all of this we do to numb that internal pain and when that doesn't work Some people even go to darker, more self-destructive things, and it drains the life out of people. They're dead ends. There's a reason why it's called a dead end. And we can see this everywhere. It doesn't matter what your race is. We can find this in black, white, Asian, Native American, it doesn't discriminate based on race. It doesn't discriminate based on, on sex. Males, females suffer from this. It doesn't, doesn't discriminate based on age because kids and adults and senior citizens all have this same problem. And it certainly doesn't discriminate based on economic status because you can find all of these things in government-subsidized housing, on the streets, or in million-dollar mansions. It's all there. And It breaks my heart. It completely breaks my heart. Why? Because there is an empty tomb. And a man who stands there asking a simple question, why, why do you search for the living among the dead? Why are you doing that? My prayer, deeply, little window into my my own life, my prayer is that that Thrive Church would be a life-giving sort of place that we would make sure that people understood that they had value to God because they have value to us. That's what my hope is. That doesn't mean that we're perfect at it. It doesn't mean we're going to get it right all the time. But that's the thing that I hope that we strive for, that this becomes a life-giving kind of place where God can do the things that only God can do. In fact, that's our prayer. God, please make us the church where you can do the work that you can only do. Because what I really, really hope for is that when people come here, they're like Peter, and they find evidence of the resurrection, and they walk out of here with awe and with wonder, saying, what is this Jesus about? That's the kind of church that I hope that we become. That's the kind of people I hope we become, because the church is just a name. The church is a people. It's a body. It's a group. And I want us to be life-giving. Why would we search for the living among the dead? Hmm. So on this Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, you've got to say it with a deep kind of growl in your voice, Resurrection Sunday. <clears throat> on this Resurrection Sunday, might you be searching for the living among the dead? And where are you? How are you doing with that? It doesn't have to be Jesus for the first time. You can have been a Christian all of your life and still be searching for the living among the dead and not even realize it. It happens. And you know what? You're in great company because it happens to the best of us. It happens to all of us at one point or another. It just does. And it's okay. Why? Because we have grace, we have mercy. God understands that we're still going to make mistakes. And that's the whole point to it all. The thing that is, and I want you to understand, is that, yes, when Jesus died and when Jesus resurrected, that, that clued us into the kind of value that God places on us. But please know that that value doesn't end. It doesn't end at all. In fact, it keeps on going. God still values you. Even when you blow it, even when you make a mistake, even when you get derailed, there's a way back. It's called grace. It's called mercy. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, that's not good news. That's great news.